FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 167 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason. I'll give you a compliment and a brew, Venable. It's time for a flashback episode. We're going to do Wolverine Year 14 Part 1. This episode is going to kind of be a buffet of sorts. Kind of multiple guest co-hosts as we talk about some different guest appearances. Um, and a couple of issues of Uncanny as well. Basically, this episode, we're, we're clearing the runway, so to speak. Uh, to get ready for Fall of the Mutants, which uh, should be really fun. We're kind of taking care of everything between the last episode with the wrap-up of the Marauders story, and then kind of the, you know, there's just a little bit of time between that and and the Fall of the Mutants. Basically, as far as X story-wise, we're going to be kind of have another middle chapter of the Storm Forge story, and then um, some nice uh, Wolverine guest appearances. Like I said, we'll have different different guests come on and talk about those with us. We'll have Andrew Autry uh, talk about a couple issues of Daredevil. And then Pat will come back. Pat Gunter will come back to talk about a couple issues of Alpha Flight. And then I'll bring us home with just a couple issues of Uncanny that Wolverine doesn't, doesn't have a whole lot to do in. But, um, you know, it does definitely progress the story. So uh, we'll end there. Uh, small disclaimer. I already recorded the the segment with Pat and I didn't catch while we were recording, but there's a little bit of a bad connection with our Skype. So there's just a tiny bit of static kind of through that whole segment, but I don't think it's really enough to detract from it. And if you can kind of just grin and bear it, it's a pretty good segment. So I, I hope you will uh, go ahead and listen to that because there's some good stuff there. And um, yeah, so without further ado, let's talk about Wolverine Year 14, Part 1. All right, here we go. Okay, so first up for Wolverine Year 14, Part 1, uh, Wolverine makes a couple of guest appearances in Daredevil. We're going to look at Daredevil's issues 248 to 249, and um, here to talk that over with us, returning to the show, is uh, Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Jason. Glad to be back on the show. Yeah, how's it going? It's going really, really well. Yeah. And Andrew is all ready for some nerd talk. He's in a Darth Vader t-shirt and some Captain America pants. Well, if you're going to go that far, I'm also drinking out of an I Heart Dad uh, mug. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm, I'm full on. Are you wearing any of your uh, superhero socks? Not to know, man. To know. That would have <laughs> capped it off. All right. I won't ask about your underoos. <laughs> all for the best oh <laughs> uh, yeah so <laughs> anyway <laughs> so we do have a, a wolverine show up in a couple issues of daredevil as we kind of um lead the way um it, you know it definitely it definitely plays on kind of the rising anti-mutant sentiment that's all leading up to fall of the mutant <clears throat> there's that word again fall of the mutants <laughs> It's ashamedly um, difficult for me to say the word mutant for hosting a, a Wolverine podcast. But um, anyway, that's where we are. Um, so yeah, so we'll kind of talk about that a little bit. 
So have you read much Daredevil, Andrew? You know, Daredevil is not one of the books I've ever gotten hugely into. Right. Uh, it, it was one of those I would pick up occasionally one at the grocery store as a kid. Uh, more recently, I did buy a collection of some of the Bendis Daredevil, both yeah. the Bendis David Mack and Bendis Malieve. And uh, they were really, really good. So it kind of gave me a little more interest Right in the character, but this was the first time I had read these two issues. Okay. We'll see uh, if this old school, uh, late '80s Daredevil scratches any of the same inches or not. Of course, we're uh, we're full in the middle of Anacinti's run, kind of post Frank Miller. Just kind of got through Born Again, where Daredevil basically uh, basically got tore down to the very basis of who he was, and it's kind of building his life back up. And that's kind of where Wolverine intersects him. So. Uh, We'll start off, like I said, with Daredevil number 248. This is going to be A Cage in Search of a Bird, which is a somewhat pretentious title, but kind of cool. Like I said, this is written by Ann Nascenti, penciled by Rick Leonardi, inked by Al Williamson, letters by Joe Rosen, and colors by Petresco Tease. The cover is also by Leonardi and Williamson, it's kind of just a standard comic cover with a standard guest appearance bubble. <laughs> um, we have uh, Daredevil duking it out with some purple robot. In the background, we have Matt Murdock with a sign that says blind that he's holding for some reason. I'm not really sure why that is. Um, then we have a little circle with Wolverine's head in it that says special guest Wolverine. So what do you think of this cover, Andrew? Yeah, the... I thought the robot looked really stupid. Yeah. But I thought what was kind of cool is the way Daredevil's face look where it looks where the robot just punched him. Yeah. Like it, it's got like a very realistic, like he just got punched. His He's got that kind of <laughs> loose jaw. And so while the robot is stupid, the the art's pretty cool on the cover as far as uh, I, I kind of I like the Leonardi cover. Yeah. Yeah. I dug it. I like the color work. I like kind of the silhouette, and the, or not the silhouette, kind of the, the monochromatic, shadowy Murdoch in the background. and Yeah. And even the Wolverine head kind of had like a classic early comics feel to it. Like, look who's in here. <laughs> you know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So basically in this issue, following his humiliation by the Kingpin, Matt Murdoch has mostly come to terms with losing his law license and now being a free man. That is, until his, girlfri- his girlfriend, Karen Page, opens a free legal clinic and Matt is exposed to people that need his help to represent themselves. Meanwhile, a hitman named Bushwhacker is killing off a list of mutants, with Wolverine hot on his trail. Off-panel, for some unexplained reason, <laughs> Wolverine finds his apartment and threatens his wife that he'll kill her husband. Seems like he would want to show that, but they didn't. So she doesn't know what he's doing, but knows it's bad, so she visits the legal clinic. She asks Matt to help stop her husband before he gets killed. So, any uh, any highlights for you in this one, Andrew? <laughs> I think your summary would have uh, was less uh, exposition than just like one page of this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got a couple of things. One, I thought the splash page at the beginning was gorgeous. Yes, I love the way that city looks in the background. And really throughout that whole issue, 
I thought the city shots were all fantastic. Like Leonardi did a really, really good job in this issue. The the Defender robot in the chemical plant is even more stupid than he is on the cover. Yeah, how'd they do that? <laughs> I mean, I know it's 1987 and robots were cool, but this robot is stupid. I mean, just this chemical plant having a Defender robot is just, it's it's a little too 1987. Yeah. You know? No, I like his little back wheel, his little kick kickstand tiny wheel he has for no reason uh i mean i honestly i thought this script was really heavy-handed really overly dramatic i will i will show you my notes heavy-handed <laughs> is exactly the word that i wrote down on my paper yeah it's not it's there's no subtlety to it no uh, i thought the art was really solid but it didn't have anything to do other than those couple of really pretty background scenes there's there the word bubbles take up more space than the artwork in this one. I mean, it is really exposition heavy. You know, when Wolverine is pontificating, I believe it's on page 18. It just, it doesn't sound like his voice. It sounds no. like, it sounds like they, you know, Nascenti didn't really have a feel for the character, but wanted to use him. So she put her voice in his mouth. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I kind of like the, what the story is. I didn't like the way it was told, and yeah. The only thing I would kind of disagree with you on, I felt like there was there was definitely was not a whole lot of action. Mm-hmm. So as far as the art having action to draw, but I felt like Leonardi really used his particular style, and I think we'll probably talk a little more about his quote unquote style next issue. But um, <laughs> he he really used his strengths. I felt like he. Just did a really wonderful job with facial expressions. Yeah, he did. He and this did. whole issue, like, you can really tell, like, I guess a shame that Anna Sinti throws so many words on the page because Leonardi's art basically tells you what they're feeling without all those words. Right. Yeah, and I'm not uh, opposed to exposition-heavy comics. I mean, any any X-Men fan of the 80s <laughs> has to be okay with that, you know? Right. I didn't think what she was writing was worth the time it took to read the issue. I, I do think all of his art was really, really good. I would have liked to seen some more of, you know, with Daredevil in particular, he's so just his, doing action shots of Daredevil. It's like doing action shots of Spider-Man. There's just, they can be fantastic. Right. And um, I kind of, it would have been nice to see a little bit more of that. I did like the, him racing the kids and the whole bit at the beginning. You could definitely feel the, feel the action. Yeah. For sure. So yeah, I really dug the art. Um, I think we're pretty much on the same space. Uh, my actual, my notes to be exact for the story were, if you summarize the plot, it sounds pretty good. <laughs> but the dialogue can be pretty heavy handed. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, hey, before we grade this, I want to, I'm going to maybe possibly think about breaking the rules a little bit. Okay. Um, are your grades for these issues the same or different? Different. Oh, okay. Well, then we'll go ahead and do your grade. I'm going to break the rule and hold off on my grade because mine are both okay. the same. And I okay. I, I want to save that. <laughs> All right. All right. So what did you grade number 248? I graded number 248, a final grade of three claws. Okay. It was four for the art and two for the story. Okay. Fair enough. And the two for the story was more plot than actual writing. Right. 
Cool. Well, that takes us to uh, 249. We're going to finish this uh, this loosely tied together bushwhacker daredevil Wolverine story. <laughs> right. I actually see the characters interact in this issue. So this is Kiss and Kill. And who does this one? It's almost the exact same cast. The only thing that changes is the colorist changes from Petroscotis to Max Scheele, which yeah. is also Christy Scheele. It's the same same person. Yes, yeah. So uh, Christy Max Scheele does the coloring on this one. All right, so uh, synopsis. Let's talk about the cover first. So yeah, this is a. It's got the nice action shot. We got Wolverine jumping through the air. Nice bright yellow background. Right. Punching it, Daredevil. My uh, yeah. my, my note for this cover was that your opinion of this cover will be directly tied to your opinion of Leonardi. Because it's kind of Leonardi to the max. Yeah, I was not a huge fan of this cover. Okay. It was. It was okay. Yeah. I mean, it tells you that they're going to fight. Personally, I like that, it. At least that happens. Yeah, that does happen. It's very, it's very sketchy. Like, his art in 248 was still stylized, but it seemed tighter. This is, this one's a lot looser and a lot oh, kind boy, of like yeah. the sketchy I've got a lot stuff. of notes on that. <laughs> and, of course, we have our The Fall of the Mutants as Coming banner in the corner. But um, anyway, back to the, the actual issue inside. What do we got here? All right, so here's the synopsis. So the story picks up uh, where the last one left off with Wolverine still on the hunt for Bushwhacker. It opens with Wolverine pontificating about music and art and a voice 100% not his own <laughs> before he finally double snicks out a vow to kill Bushwhacker before he can kill again which is, of course, a vow he will soon fail to keep twice throughout this issue. <laughs> Who's counting? Uh, meanwhile, Bushwhacker's <laughs> wife is busy ratting out her husband at the free clinic that you mentioned in the last issue, which is run by Karen Page and Daredevil. Uh, Daredevil vows to her that he will keep Bushwhacker safe, and his vow is also pretty much worthless because it, you know, <laughs> it means about as much as Wolverine's vow. <laughs> So then Bushwhacker, unfortunately having no affiliation with the wrestling Bushwhacker. Oh, man. (laughs) Remember that guy? Missed opportunity. Uh, Yeah, talks to a mutant artist about getting... uh, He talks a mutant artist into getting on his motorcycle. He then kills a bunch of people with his ridiculous, stupid-looking arm cannon. (laughs) Uh, And he makes out with the artist before offing her as well. He then celebrates her demise by going to a theater to watch cartoons. <laughs> as you will. Yeah, as, who doesn't? Right. Uh, Wolverine and Daredevil find him there. In order to advance the story, nothing else happens at the theater, even though it looks like Wolverine's creeping up to take out Bushwhacker, and instead they all leave. Bushwhacker harasses some poor wino in the alley by, instead of his whole arm, just using his little finger gun to shoot the wino's bottle. And that's when Wolverine finally attacks. Daredevil intervenes, declaring, we're not murderers, showing that there have not been many Daredevil X-Men crossovers to this point. (laughs) Uh, Bushwhacker gets away. Bushwhacker then kills a mutant ballerina before Wolverine and Daredevil can catch up to him. A ton of drama ensues. Wolverine wants to kill him. Daredevil won't let him. Finally, Bushwhacker gets so sick of the drama, he basically kills himself. Or tries to by shooting his gun while he's covered in gasoline. 
Daredevil saves him. Wolverine declares that Daredevil and he are different kinds of animals. And the issue ends with uh, Matt Murdock basically feeling awful as Bushwhacker's wife uh, rants about how terrible Daredevil is. The end. <laughs> oh, perfect. So, so right off the bat, in, in a, a voice that I agree is not Wolverine's, there's some pretty cool things said. <laughs> there are. It's just not yeah. how he would say them. Yeah. Like, uh, Nascentine talks about, or uh, <coughs> Wolverine, I mean, Nascentine talks about a musician's private and sacred world, which, uh, we're both musicians, we know all about that. That kind of, you know, place you go yeah. to, and... and... And honestly, I could see Wolverine talking about these same concepts. We're he just different. wouldn't say any of it the way it said. Right. It's not his voice, it's not his way of talking. I think, you know, when you get into his background as established, uh you know, kind of around the same time period where you kind of get deeper into his background. I can see him having these types of thoughts and these concepts. It's just, this, this isn't how he talks. Right. I I thought she didn't capture his voice really at all. Yeah, I agree. So what do you think about this kind of this, this twist, if you will, that a bushwhacker, he's not just running around killing mutants from a list. But this this list contains mutants that are not necessarily like the most powerful, not the kind of things you see in the X-Men, but like the creatively brightest mutants, like artists, musicians, the ballerina. I thought that was kind of an interesting way for this story to flesh out because it's not very comic booky. I I agree with that, and I think it's a really neat concept. I do too. That that Nocenti then didn't do anything with after this. It's never explored again about why Bushwhacker was doing this, who hired him to do this. Oh, you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're stepping all over my toes on that one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll save, we'll save that then for you. No, because no, we're we'll talking about at the end. I want to, I have something at the end I want to tie in. It's a that. neat idea that could have tied somehow into a lot of stuff that was going to be going on with uh, the government and the Mutant Registration Act and just different, like, there's all kinds of stuff that could have been tied in here. Yes. But it just it just wasn't. This this story kind of frustrated me because again, like we talked about in the first issue, there's good concepts, there's a good plot idea. It's I feel like it's horribly executed. And I know that she went on to write Daredevil for years after this. So I'm assuming she found a better voice than she has Maybe. here. I'll, I'll let you know because I'm, I'm about to kind of dive into her run pretty deep coming up here. Um, I honestly have not read a ton of Nocenti. I haven't either. But every, everything I have read, I didn't like. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it was kind of the same sort of heavy, heavy-handed. Right. You know, the other thing about this issue, the art came so far down from the prior issue to this issue Really, and I realize I realize the colorist changed, and the the colorist did change the color of a uh, bushwhacker's wife's hair, and I actually thought it was one of the worst coloring jobs I've ever seen. I don't know if it was just bleed in the issue, or if it was really that sloppy, because that 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 doesn't ring true for Chris Steele in general. No, I mean, it she doesn't. Had, she had she had way too long of a run as a successful colorist. Right. So maybe it was a printing issue that it was so messy in this one. But I thought the coloring was awful. But the art, I thought, was 
really messy. The last one had those beautiful cityscapes, right. really good faces. I honestly, uh, not just that it came down, I disliked the art in really? this one. I still liked it, but I historically like Leonardi quite a bit anyway. This is definitely, there's degrees of Leonardi. (laughs) I felt this one looked rushed. It did, it did, and this is definitely more of his just really loose style. Because he kind of fluctuates between being very, like he's always kind of uh, distorted. Like his figure work is always distorted to a degree. But this is on the further extreme of that, where the faces yeah. and stuff are really, like, cartoony. You know, it's kind of funny that the, the Bushwhacker goes to watch Looney Tunes, and there's several times where Wolverine and Daredevil are, are arguing and facing off to each other, and they're kind of making, like, Saturday morning cartoon faces. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to draw attention before we get too far. Uh, there's a, I'm not a big Nascenti fan either, but there's a line on one of the first couple of pages where Wolverine's doing his fake noir thing, and he says, he's talking about the dead art, the dead musician, and he says, and he ended as he began, a fetal curl clutching a string. I thought that was a great line. <laughs> yeah. And also, yeah. that, that double snicked on the title page, I I agree the art's not quite as good. I think, like I said, I liked it a little more than you did, but I thought that opening splash page was really fantastic. Yeah. So, um, the other thing... When when we get to the theater, oh, first of all, I like how when he Bushwhacker gets the painter and she's coming out of the building called Institute of Art. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have a question. I know that that we, you know, this is Bushwhacker. By the way, these issues Bushwhacker's first appearance. Oh yeah. Okay. You, you own his first appearance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep keep those bagged. And we right <laughs> bagged and boarded, baby. So we find out that he used to be a priest and something happened and he turned his back on the priesthood and, you know, as most people that lose their faith, immediately enlisted in the CIA. <laughs> right. And became a weapon. And so kind of, they they say it's cybernetically, but it looks like, I mean, he can just kind of morph his hand into a gun. And also... His power is dumb looking. It, it is dumb looking. And what I don't understand is it's not, like, the gun seems to be part of his physiology, but he has to load it. Mm-hmm. Like, he's constantly, like, cocking his thumb, and, like, when he turns into a shotgun, he's, like, racking his arm. Yeah, and his wife found the bullets. Yeah. So uh, Where does he load them? Yeah, where? I, I don't even want to guess where he puts the bullets. <laughs> you want to guess where he ejects the shells? <laughs> Oh man, That's yeah, that whole that whole scene with him and the girl or or is is stupid. Um, and then it's, they kiss with yeah. the explosion behind their heads. You know what I didn't get though? Exactly, officer. He goes to the theater. And here's another thing I thought Nacente kind of got wrong. We have this. We have Wolverine kind of like creeping up on him in the theater. Yeah. And this really dumb, like, oh, I know what sounds Wolverine's claws make. We have like four panels in a row where Wolverine has like this nervous tick. And there's like a snick, snack, snick, snacked, snicked in five subsequent panels. Yeah, where he's just popping his claws back and forth. Yeah, popping them in and out for no reason. Like, 
like he just got this nervous, weird thing that, that he just doesn't ever have. It's weird. I don't think Nacinti was familiar with the character. I really don't. <laughs> she probably had read a couple of early appearances of Wolverine where he's, you know, early Wolverine right. before he's really developed the character. And I don't know. I, I don't think she got the character when she wrote him. I'm not sure at this point she gets the Daredevil character when she's writing him. I'm assu- again, I'm assuming she does because she writes him for, what, like four years? Something so, like that. But some of those, her early part, her early run is pretty dumb. Like before this is, yeah. Well, you know, her her first comic book writing experience, they gave her Spider-Woman and she promptly killed her. <laughs> Well, that's so, funny because her most recent writing experience, she almost got Catwoman canceled. So, yeah, I I don't know. Uh, let's see what else. Um, you talked about the gas truck and all that. So, all right. So I think I agree the art swap here. I think we're going to disagree on how it kind of impacted us a little bit, and that's fine. I was just surprised on how much I loved the art in one issue. Right how much I didn't in the next when it's the same team. Usually when that happens, you know, there's a different anchor or there's, there's something going on, but this right. was just back to back, same characters, same everything. And, uh, I was just kind of surprised at how uh, drastically different they were. Well, I think the colors, like you said, being off a little bit does, doesn't help kind of make, cause it does make the book look muddy. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so for the story, I said again, there's parts that are cool and kind of a Norish, faux philosophical kind of way, but but some of it is also garbage, and it's not they're not great Wolverine appearances. So what are you gonna grade Daredevil two forty nine? Well, for this one, I came down from the first issue. Okay, uh, for this one, <laughs> I'm giving it one claw. Wow. It's- and okay. it's one for the art, zero for the story. I, re- I really thought Bushwhacker was not... <laughs> you can tell there's ideas for a character that could be interesting. And right. a lot of what you said about the character didn't come from the story. <laughs> right. Right? You don't know anything about the CIA or cybernetic or any of that oh, stuff. Oh, they don't? I thought they did. No, you know about the priest thing and that something happened to him. Oh, okay. All right. And that he he really gets excited killing people. Right. Oh, he's such a um, jerk. He's a big big time jerk. Yeah. And that he kind of sometimes hopes they're pretty ladies he's killing. <laughs> um, yeah. I think there's a lot of high concept in both of these issues. I thought it was badly executed. I thought Bushwhacker was dumb. I thought Wolverine was written badly. I honestly, I don't like Karen Page. I know she's like a long-term, really important right. to the Daredevil mythos. I just don't like her. I, I'm not upset when she dies later. Um, <laughs> what did you not like? About, is that based on history or based on these two issues? History. history. Okay, all right. She's fine in these two issues. All right, cool. This is, this is after her heroine yes. other stuff from L.A., her, her Ghost Rider crossovers. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, for me, this one was a one, uh, yeah. So a three, then a one. Okay. Well, um, something unexplainable happened to me reading these comics. <laughs> We've, 
in in word have mostly agreed. A little bit of variance on the art, but we've mostly said a lot of the same things. And I know these are terrible comics. I like that you're sticking with whatever your grade is and not letting me influence it at all. (laughs) (laughs) But but in a way that I can't explain, this was some kind of guilty pleasure for me or something. I just had I had a lot of fun with these issues that that makes no sense. And I admit this they're not good. I don't recommend reading these. I I just I don't know. There was something about Nusinti falling on her face trying to be Frank Miller that there's, there's this, this cheesy like every everyone talks kind of like a private eye but not really and I, I don't know it just it just it hit me in the right spot at the right time I gave both of these issues four out of six claws <laughs> hey no shame no shame but I do want to talk because you brought something up earlier that I want to come back to Okay. Because this is Bushwhacker's first appearance. And there are a lot of dangling threads in this, the, both these issues. Both I was cons- kind of surprised it wasn't Bushwhacker's last appearance. <laughs> <laughs> I know for sure that it goes on to appear in Punisher War Journal. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I don't, I don't know. But, you know, we mentioned, because in the first issue, in 248, he talks about how he was hired, how he's getting paid, he's making big bucks killing these mutants on his list in the second issue he acts like he's just doing this because he's having fun and he wants to kill mutants and we never find out who his benefactor is um who's paying him in fact this story is so unresolved that i want to take you to bushwhackers marvel wiki page okay all right here's what they say about bushwhacker originally a priest Carl Burbank abandoned his vows following the drug-related deaths of young parishioners. He joined the CIA, which outfitted him with a cybernetic arm and made him an assassin under the codename Bushwhacker. But ultimately, he went freelance. Then things get interesting. Granted, this is Marvel's official wiki page on the character. At some point, an event took place that compelled Bushwhacker to begin a war against all mutants. Bushwhacker began hunting and murdering mutants, most often those mutants whose abilities Bushwhacker perceived as making them especially talented in the arts. Parentheses. Bushwhacker also claimed he was paid large sums of money to kill mutants, but this has yet to be verified in parentheses. (laughs) Marvel doesn't even know what Nesenti was trying to tell in her story. No one knows. I I don't think Nesenti knew. It's terrible. It's terrible. I like to think that the bushwhacker from the WWF of the 1980s was also <laughs> funded this the bushwhacker. CIA. Yeah. All right. You know what makes it was even kind of more frustrating about that is Wolverine. It makes sense that Wolverine would hunt down a killer of mutants. Yep. It doesn't make sense that he would be like, okay, well, I got the the trigger man. I'm done here. Like if bushwhacker really truly was a hitman. Wolverine would just keep climbing up the ladder. Absolutely. It also doesn't make sense that he would finally just walk away with Bushwhacker not dead. Right. That no matter is not what Daredevil said. That yeah. I think Wolverine lets live. <laughs> I agree. I really don't. I mean, I know that his his moral barometer goes up and down right. from time to time. This is one where 
Especially after he found the ballerina dead, posed against the fence as if dancing. Right. He, th- that guy's dead. You see, that I kind of like. That, those are the kind of little things that, that I thought were sufficiently creepy in this story that kind of made it, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you get this story written by, I, I've already told you before, I'm not a fan of Mark Miller, Millar, Miller Millar. You get Mark Millar to write this story, man, this is this is a Marvel Max title. Yeah, or even even like in the 80s, like do, do Frank Miller or um, something in that vein. Um, I, I think, I think, I think the tone is here. It just wasn't adeptly executed, but it was, like I said, it was just the right kind of garbage for me that. (laughs) Hey, I'm, I'm right there. There's a lot of books that I know aren't good, but if I have a blast (laughs) reading them, I'm all in. And a lot of them are from this era. It's a good era. It's, it's been really fun reading what I have concurrent, which is not everything, but I have more than I realized I did from the mid to late eighties. So it's been a lot of fun to kind of track the bigger tones and themes in Marvel at the time. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, any, any closing thoughts on, on daredevil versus Wolverine as it was billed in the title? <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm, I, I love this era as goofy as secret wars two is. I like the gym shooter <laughs> era. I don't like necessarily things I've heard about Jim Shooter, the, the, the person to work with, like, I don't, I don't want to work in the office with him, but, uh, during his era, you just get a lot of really good stuff. So I tend to enjoy most of the eighties Marvel storylines and this one, well, I couldn't, and I couldn't, you know, I guess you, you, you know, you were able to, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't in good conscience rate this one. Well, but I did enjoy reading it. <laughs> so awesome. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Andrew, for coming on and helping us with this part of the episode. And uh, we'll get you back on again soonish. Maybe for the uh, the next time Wolverine and Bushwhacker face off. <laughs> we'll definitely call you back for that. Yeah. <laughs> He's putting his dance card in now, ladies and gentlemen. Right. I think you'll get to that one by about twenty thirty at the rate this rate, right? <laughs> so. Hey, we're almost to Marvel Comics presents number one. All right. It's on its way. Yeah. All right, cool. We're going to go ahead and jump to our next segment. Uh, Andrew, anything you want to plug or promote or talk about while you're here? Anything going on? Uh, If you want to go listen to some music, you can go to tyrannicalrex.bandcamp.com. And I would. And check out some music. And uh, that's about it. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. All right, so next up, we're going to hit a couple of Alpha Flight issues, and um, Pat's going to step in for us. Welcome back, Pat. <laughs> oh, hey, Jason. Hey. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. I just listened, just listened to you know, the animated... Yeah, theme song that I listen to like all day, every day, you know. <laughs> Watching some X Men. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so how's it going, Pat? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Pumped to be on. Thanks for having me on again, Jay. I, I feel kind of bad. Um, I didn't intentionally like. Oh, it's Alpha Flight. Let's grab the Canadian listener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, we'll get you back on again soon for a full episode that doesn't involve Alpha Flight. How about that? 
Hey, just sure. Hey, yeah. happy to be on. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we do have Wolverine in two issues of Alpha Flight A. That's going to be issues 52 and 53. Yeah, you ready to just dive on in, Pat? Yeah, for sure. Hey, uh, have you heard how cold it is here, I was just going to say? No. It's been, it's how just cold is it? Yeah, speaking of Canada, it's just brutal. Did you see that uh, picture I sent on Facebook, like minus 33? Oh my gosh, really? My, minus 33 Celsius. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> So wow. if you guys are listening to fair, used to uh, Fahrenheit listening, right. just uh, like Google convert that and you'll see how brutal that is. <laughs> That's not actually where I am. I'm like three hours uh, further south towards the, the states, towards the border of Windsor, but that's okay. where my, that's where my hometown, where my mom and my dad are. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, so that was crazy the other day, and uh, it's so cold up here in Canada. Listeners, the uh, pipes froze in my little bachelor's apartment, and the shower didn't work for like a couple of days there, so I smell horrible right now. <laughs> you smell like Wolverine? Yeah, exactly. So uh, <laughs> that's how cold it is up here to answer the question, yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, well, um, our first chapter is going to be Spectres, and that's an Alpha Flight 52. And this is going to be written by Bill Mantlo, with pencils by June Brigman, inks by Wallace Portacio, letters by Janice Chang, colors by Bob Sharon. We have a cover by Kevin Nolan. And on this cover, we have a flashback inside a flashback. And, um... We have Alpha Flight flying around in a purple background, and then we have Wolverine leading the charge. It's interesting, but I guess we, we kind of get a clue because it says flashback. But, yeah, um, it even, I was going to say it even says flashback right on the cover. Yeah, right on the cover. <laughs> and we know that's true because we have a uh, male guardian, <laughs> the original right, yeah. uh, James McDonald in the suit. is Guardian, Aurora, Brown Sasquatch, Puck and Wolverine, and uh, they look like they're about to, to run into a serious fracas. What do you think of this cover, Pat? Oh, it's it's okay. It's serviceable. Oh, I was look at the look at Guardian's right arm. Look at his forearm and his right arm. Oh, he has a tumor. Doesn't that look so weird? <laughs> it's such a big bump there. He's not a tumor, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Canadian but, Arnold. That would be the but, be- Canadian Arnold is the best thing that could ever happen. Uh, throw that out there. I believe this is our first ever Kevin Nolan Wolverine. Of course, Kevin Nolan is a big um, kind of Batman legend. Um, so it's cool to see him draw Wolverine for a second here. Is that any relation to Christopher Nolan? No, I don't think it's even spelled the same way. Oh, <laughs> All right, well, so let's see what happens in this issue. Basically, Gary Cody, the liaison between Alpha Flight and Canada, is reviewing the data he stole from Department H. Through this, we get yet another recap of Alpha history, including when Wolverine quit. We also see that Department H was named after Hudson, and uh, Mac turned to trying to create Canadian heroes when he couldn't find him. In particular, we meet one of his first trials, a convicted murderer with latent powers. Logan objects. The resulting data has been erased, but Cody knows where the lab is. He checks it and finds a cocoon where off-panel the subject hatches, escapes, and presumably murders Cody. A pre-recorded message calls Wolverine and tells him that Bedlam is free. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Oh, is that it? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of highlights. I, 
I found it interesting this, this issue. You know, it's funny because we've had none of this in X-Men yet. But Alpha Flight has been pretty much treating the theory that Hudson created Wolverine as a fact. And we kind of get some more of that in this issue. And then we'll kind of see where that goes in the next issue. A little spoiler alert. The only other kind of things that I, I thought of was... Um, oh, Jason, sorry. Who, yeah. who, did you, who did you just say created what? All right, so we have not had this in, in X-Men at all. But Bill Mantlow's Alpha Flight run has proposed this idea that Mac didn't just find Wolverine, he actually made Wolverine. Oh yeah, right I haven't I haven't read that far, so I don't really want to know. Oh, okay, <laughs> I've heard I've heard I've seen little th- whispers of that by accident, but but yeah, say that off the air sometimes, <laughs> and I just won't do it <laughs> if you don't mind. Yeah. Well, so anyway, the only other kind of things I noticed that were highlights were kind of um, pretending to Wolverine uh, when we get to where he's he answers the phone. That is definitely a fat old cigar. So we're, we're uh, moving more towards the cigar and away from the little cigarettes. And then I kind of got bummed out because on the last page, Wolverine gets mad and pops his claws, and we have a snick with no T. Yeah. Boo. But at the same time, that was a really cool last two pages, eh? Yeah, yeah, it was. Oh, man, that was awesome. So anything else in this issue that you thought was just... Yeah, really... got, got a bunch of points. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, like a... I thought that was a pretty juicy info, like little info nugget there. Like H in department H stands for Hudson. Yeah, I, I uh, forgot like, that's all about that. To think of it, and I actually I never even occurred to me once of that thinking of that. <laughs> and uh, oh, I found what I was gonna say about Guardian. Like he, he's a just oh, he's so lame. He's like a poor man's Iron Man, eh? <laughs> <laughs> just like a, he's embarrassing as a Canadian if he's supposed to have. And uh, it's, he's always drawn so weird. I never like get it. Like he's supposed to have like a big power suit on like Iron Man, but he's always drawn like it's like paint over his skin or like spandex. It looks like yeah. spandex thin. Like, so how are you supposed to blue, like, where's the dimensions, like the thickness to it? So how are you supposed to like take it seriously? Right. It's streamlined. The future is smaller, Pat. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that guy keeps saying, what was that weird thing to the, the uh, government bureau guy? He keeps saying the word Raider Disc. Listeners, every time he refers to this, like, <laughs> CD or DVD he has in his hand. He calls it a Raider disc. Yeah, basically it was, it was, so what he did is he, he, the last issue, he stuck that in the Alpha Flight computer system mm-hmm. and that disc stole all the information he wanted and burned it on that CD. So but it was, it was a Raider that? of the Lost Data Drive. Oh, is that, is that what you're supposed to think when you read that? Or is that, like a super old, is that a super old word for a CD or something? I just no, didn't know. No, I I'm pretty sure Bill Mantlow made it up. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, I think, uh, I don't know, I was thinking when I was reading this, like, I think Wolverine really left because he was scared like he and Heather would fall in love. And he left not to uh, to not risk hurting Mac because Mac was so, uh, meant so much to him too. Yes, I like that better. And that's the story we've had so far. This new story posits that uh, Wolverine left because he disagreed with Mac's uh, methods. Okay, yeah. So I I agree. I like the idea of the, of the love triangle better. All right, and I I love the two little. There's two little pictures of the two uh, little farm teams that Alpha Flight has. That's weird. Like X Men don't have like little farm teams waiting <laughs> in the background, you know. And like right. 
Yeah, there's two little teams like uh, Alpha and Beta and Gamma. It's got to suck to be Gamma. I mean, like <laughs> the third, the third ringers, like they're never gonna get in. And I'm, I'm looking at their picture. I'm sure they're just like, oh man, it's bad enough we're on Gamma, but on top of that, they don't even give us individual costumes. We just got these little matching black spandex ones. <laughs> like the the Canadian gymnastics team. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I didn't know that, so the that was I found that interesting. So like the first Alpha Flight team ever was Mac and Logan only. Yeah, they, they I guess they were uh, just the two of us for a while. So. Yeah, I never knew that. Did you? Um, no, I knew that um, Logan helped him recruit the first team, oh, which, yeah. but I didn't know they like did a bunch of stuff before that. So. Right. Reading this, I put together, like, so, therefore, like, the or- very, very first origin of Alpha Flight, or Department H, I guess, was, uh, Department H was the name of a project that a Can- that the Canadian government funded to build a cyber suit, like an Iron Man suit, for some American company that, uh, he thought they wanted it so they could, like, use for excavation, like a construction equipment, uh, like a mech suit to right. ex- excavate oil, that's what it said, and, uh... <laughs> And then Mac told the Canadian government and said he could use the suit to defend Canada. And they said, okay, and go find a team of people with superpowers. Yeah. What do you think <laughs> of that original suit? The original? Oh. oh, yeah, that was pretty pretty uh, funny. Just pretty corny looking. <laughs> it does look pretty silly. Yeah, for sure. And they, what, did that, uh, what did the Canadian Bureau guy have? He had like a little keyboard thing. <laughs> Listeners, he had like a keyboard thing in front of his, uh, down in his belly that's being suspended by a strap that's going around his neck. Yeah. And he can also like take a disc into it, I guess. And yeah. then he has a little flip down uh, screen going over one eye. <laughs> he calls it his porta pewter. Oh, yeah. Terrible. <laughs> Sounds like and a porta potty. Yeah. And I liked, uh, I liked, uh, when uh, Wolverine was just like seemed like he was just asking some like super smart rational questions about uh, that uh, the murderer guy they were gonna because they found he had latent powers and he's just like uh, I think he's still gonna be a murderer he's gonna be a murderer with powers then Mac and Mac and Mac just says oh we'll worry about him killing innocents when he kills some innocents right yeah. <laughs> And I was gonna, I was gonna ask you this, Jason. It's like just in comic reading in general. Whenever I'm reading a comic, like whenever it has, uh, you know, it has like two different little, two or three little stories going on at the same time, right? Right. And and they're kind of intertwined. There'd be like two pages of this and two pages of that one, and then it'll switch back and forth all the way through. Yeah. Like your normal comic, pretty much. And like, I just wonder, do you do? The, does anyone else do this? I do this. Listeners, like, I can't stand that because I find like. I just like to, I like to, uh, when I notice that's going to happen, I just like, I'll read, I'll jump ahead and write, finish reading all the pages that have to do with one group of people, <laughs> or with one little thing, then I'll go, I'll go back and I'll finish every page that has to do with the next group, because I find it like, it lessens the enjoyment, like you're, you're building up the little like uh, imaginary momentum meter when you're following this one group and it's going up, 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 and then it switches to the next group and it goes down and you get back to that. And when you get back to the uh, first group again, you like got to start from zero again, like your little enjoyment, uh, interest meter. So, uh, yeah, I do that. Do you do, ever do that? No, I can't say I ever have. I may uh, try that next time. Yeah. You just read her all natural. Uh, 
<laughs> I like to, I find I follow it better. Like that, yeah. yeah, that sounds interesting. I thought that was pretty badass how the, the bad guy blasted out that tunnel. That's always a cool thing to see in comics like that. And it said, yeah, I found it weird. It said Mac developed a device capable of locating latent mutant latent mutants like we're pretty much locating mutants so they're saying like mac from alpha flight has a cerebro too like oh, <laughs> come on that's a stretching it yeah right. yeah a little bit yeah he ain't got no cerebro <laughs> i like when gary cody the government liaison guy goes into the room and finds like like a like a heart on a treadmill it looks like <laughs> <laughs> and his reaction is like nothing he's just like he has no reaction. He doesn't say anything. He just keeps thinking about stuff about Department H to himself. Even when right. he walks into this room and sees it for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> he sees a giant heart on a treadmill. Well, hey, what did you think of the art in this book? Oh, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good, yeah. yeah. It's pretty uh, it's pretty clean, pretty good. Yeah, considering this is the... I, I think uh, this is the one that wasn't Jim Lee. The second one we're going to read, listeners, is Jim Lee. But uh, this one's really good. Really good, too. Yeah, I feel like it started off kind of goofy looking, but it got stronger as it went. And mm-hmm. colors by um, Bob Sharon are really good, I thought, especially the part where they're swimming on the beach. Yeah. That made yeah. really nice color work, like in the sky and the waves and stuff like that. It looked really good. So as far as Mantla's story, there were some dumb elements, like the porta pewter. Oh, it's fun though. I always love the old, yeah. like, old computery stuff in the '80s comics and stuff. Yeah. When they call it, when they call it, like they have a, uh, like a computer flat screen TV these days on a wall. They call it like a busy screen or something. You know, it's always, <laughs> it's always funny. I'll go all the old terms. Right. And um, there's way too much recap, but I thought there was a nice intrigue with this Bedlam guy. I mean, we don't know who he is yet, mm-hmm. but we know that like Wolverine was mad about it, but now. When he escapes, they call Wolverine and say, Wolverine, we know he's going to have to go try to stop him. So I thought that was like a good mystery to end the issue with. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and just all the scenes for Wolverine are really cool. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm always a sucker for getting any more Wolverine history revealed. So anytime that's happening, you're going to get a good claw rating from me. That's right. I agree. Well, how good are we going to get? What are you going to grade Alpha Flight 52? Oh, I'll give it uh, four ingrown claws out of six. <laughs> awesome. Well, I will also give Alpha Flight 52 four out of six claws. So, Pat, why don't you move us right along to number 53? Okay, so Alpha Flight 53. So this is called A Blast from the Past. Yeah, and it's by Bill Mantelos script again, I believe. And uh, But this time, quite interestingly, is Jim Lee. Yeah. Jim Lee has the pencils, and uh, I did a little research, and this actually isn't the first one. The first one he did was... Uh, f- uh, 51 yeah 51 and that's uh, so we're doing 52 and 53 and he his first like I believe his first Marvel or even like comic entry comic ever was I believe that one 51 Alpha yeah. 51 that's his first published work yeah, yeah. and uh, Will Portacio is the inks Janice Cheng letters and Bob Sharon colors Carl Potts editor Tom DeFalco predator uh, predator in chief. It says. <laughs> I just caught that. That's funny. <laughs> All right, and this one here comes the synopsis. Well, uh, let's, do the, let's talk about the cover for a second. Sure. Okay. We have Jim Lee's first cover. Yeah, it's awesome. He did not do the cover to 51. So this, this is his first cover. 
And it is uh, Wolverine jumping out of Box's belly with a stark yellow background. What do you think of this cover? Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I like it a lot. Very good, yeah. This is the best, better one out of the two for sure. Yeah. It's just like, it's a funny scene in general, like how often do you see that? I don't know, Wolverine cover, you could probably count that in one hand, like him jumping out of a robot's belly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's on the short list of Wolverine covers. Right. And if it was later, like in the 90s, he'd be cutting through the belly. <laughs> oh, where's like, where is the guy? So there's supposed to be like a guy actually inside a box, right? Yeah, yeah. So where is he? <laughs> I don't know. I guess he's in the thigh. That thigh looks pretty big. Yeah, I guess or <laughs> sitting up. He could like shrink himself down. And he's just sitting up in the head or something. Right, right. Or Wolverine was sitting in his lap, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention like boxes like just this big robot guy and a listeners and a guy like kind of phases into him like but how do, do you ever think like i wrote down so many times like how is he getting in and out he just like kind of some <laughs> yellows he just kind of like some he kind of goes a weird color just phases into this box and that's his power yeah it's, it's a <laughs> comics magic yeah uh, comics yeah all right so what happens in uh number 53 pat 53, Wolverine arrives by a self-piloted personal plane, I guess that he flies, which is weird, and uh, too late to find that the lake house uh, is destroyed, and because that base in the last one, right, was underneath in the basement of it? Yeah, yeah, it was all part of their complex. Uh, it took me a while to put that in. Yeah, and then he, fi- he finds Box, that's a, a, one of the elf flight guys, and he tells him a sudden explosion caused this, and uh Bedlam the Brain Blast is the baddie's full name. <laughs> wow. And uh, he caused it and he took everyone else to somewhere else. And uh, Bedlam is Bedlam took them to his evil bad guy lair in the Arctic Circle. Bedlam reads Heather's mind to see a fight with Bedlam, Wolverine, and James where Guardian defeated him and uh, placed him in that life support cocoon thing until he was set free last-ish by the government guy. And then Bedlam's team of baddies fights Alpha, Box, and Wolverine arrive. Bedlam's mind controls Wolverine to attack Box. And then Heather fights Bedlam and blasts his head off, literally. And uh, all the baddies are taken out, and Alpha Flight decides to use uh, this, the bad guy's lair in the Arctic Circle as their new headquarters, because they're the one that is destroyed. Yeah, why not, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, fresh on the market. <laughs> Find your keepers, baby. Yeah. <laughs> That's how that's how we roll up here in Canada. <laughs> what should we talk about next? Well, so on page two, you know, we had an issue fifty-one. We had a very like tiny Wolverine picture by Jim Lee, but this yeah. is our first real like chance to see Jim Lee draw Wolverine. And yeah, I guess it's his first ever, right? Yeah, like in action, and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good. It's not quite like the super awesome that we're going to get in a couple of years, but it, it's pretty close already, I think. Um, is, that, is that the Wolverine plane he flies there? It's the yellow? I don't know. And, I was trying to read this side. It's, it says X-12. Oh, yeah. Funny. And and why didn't he just take the Blackbird, by the way? Where did he get this little twin-engine yellow plane <laughs> that he can pilot himself? <laughs> hey, Wolverine's resourceful. He spent a lot so. of time out in the mountains. That goes that goes against the whole thing in the movie about his his little joke about how he's scared of flying all throughout the the uh, these uh, all these X movies as of later, and here he's like piloting one by himself. That was the B. A. Baracus. <laughs> oh, that's, it, uh, that's the movies. 
I think Wolverine uh, pops one claw to pry open because when he finds Box, he's basically he's compacted to this tiny little thing. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And Wolverine's like, oh, here, I'm going to pop one claw with a snick. And he's going to, like, pry it open. And Box is like, no, wait, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that, that, uh, that, on that page right there, like the middle right uh, panel of the little close-up shot of the claw, I love that panel because it shows his claw such good detail. It's nice and gray. It's not just white. Like, it always it's gray. Right. Nice. I like his claws to be gray had a nice gray metally tone and it, they're drawing it like a little sword like it's like a little knife not like a, those flat hook things from giant size x-men and <laughs> onward for a while years after you know right which drive, drive me nuts <laughs> yeah i i agree i like them yeah uh, and a, like, I like just them a lot of, bladed and a lot of the times they just like they never color his claws and they really like i find it's kind of interesting, like, his claws are such a big deal. Like, it's Wolverine's claws, and when they draw them, like, a lot of the times from giant size and years on, they're just, like, not very well detailed, and they kind of be, like, just white. They wouldn't even fill them in with a grayish tone. Yeah. I agree. No, I think this is this is a good version of the claws. We're, we're getting to a really good place uh, mm-hmm. with Wolverine's claws right now, because we have Jim Lee doing this, and, of course, Sylvester over in Uncanny draws his claws great. That would be a nice treat. I like that uh, he gives uh, Jeffries his jacket. Like, you know, here's this rough, tough Wolverine, but he feels bad. And he still has, like, a heart of gold. And so he gives Jeffries his jacket. Yeah. Uh, I thought there was some nice little, so in our first Alpha Flight training montage, we have some really nice sexual innuendo. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Between um, uh, uh, Heather and Jeffries, where uh, Heather's in the, in the Alpha Flight not danger room. And Jeffrey's like, wish I was doing it with you, Vindicator. <laughs> Whoa. And then, and then Heather's like, um, I'll give you a private workout later. <laughs> yeah, what was that all about? Bow, bow, Her husband, Mac, just died like 20-ish years ago. <laughs> Come on, Heather. Nah, she's moving on. And they, they said, uh, or I, did, I was like, oh, I wrote Tiss Tiss. Like, they wrote uh, Cerebro Runs the Danger Room. They It said that somewhere like oh, that. Uh, yeah, uh, Cerebro Runs the Danger Room. Sure. Like, and no one caught that in editing? Oh, yeah, what? yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Did they say that about the Alpha Flight place? No, no, he's saying that it's not as good as the, the Danger Room where they have Cerebro. I oh, just yeah, have yeah. this I was little just computer. wondering why I wrote that, but yeah, I'm not crazy. Yeah, like, Cerebro doesn't control the danger room. Nope. That's retarded. <laughs> <laughs> That's so dumb. I won't stand for that. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to talk loudly here. <laughs> oh, man. So on uh, page six, I really like Jim Lee's box. That's about as cool as he's ever looked since he's been around. Mm-hmm. I like that too. Yeah, it looks kind of like a a, a manga like <laughs> mecha guy. He looks really cool. He's, he's been really square and stuff before. All right, well, so let's talk about Bedlam. I felt like last issue, they kind of had this really cool setup with like a lot of suspense and mystery, and then we see Bedlam, and he's one of the worst villains ever. A hundred percent agree. He, he looks, looks terrible. Terrible. <laughs> like what the hell is he? A little like grizzled gremlin head on top of a robot buddy yeah it makes no sense at all 
the first one well, I liked way better and it was like pretty interesting you're like whoa who's the bedlam guy and then you get this weird like he was supposed to be a human right he was just, he was just a guy in jail and then the next issue was just some weird brown skin yeah, grizzly alien looking guy like an alien. never exactly. an explanation about it just yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I like uh the one of the elf flights powers one of the elf flights guys powers was uh to create as much as i can take from the panels is is to create three specific people every time yeah self and a future self oh yeah is is kind of i don't like that character <laughs> <laughs> and uh when they're fighting like bedlam turned out in the arctic base to have his own little group of baddies and one of those guys uh i'll just listeners i'll tell you like his story okay uh he was a heavy metal rock star but he took too many drugs that fried his brain so much so that he can't feel now he can't feel physical anything so then he joined an evil team of henchmen and uh i just like to say that i think that guy's had a killer career but um He also wears tiger pants, so, you know, there's that. Tiger pants. Another one of the baddies, henchman baddies, uh, her power is that uh, from the pressure of being a housewife was so hard on her that now she can explode. And, and that's her power. And she's not a mutant. She wasn't born with that. She was just a normal housewife, but the pressure was too crazy. And now she has a power that she can explode. And yeah, I like it. I, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> But we do get to see Jim Lee draw Wolverine in his original costume. Also, speaking of the bad guys, they're called, get this folks, the Derangers. Oh, yeah. I rolled my eyes so hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote down a little Wolverine timeline, okay, of his, like, life okay. that I gathered from this. From this, okay. <laughs> I gathered from a lot from small details, okay? All right. Listeners, uh, so this is what happened to Wolverine. Like, I'm going to start... Well, there was stuff before this. I'm going to start at the Weapon X experiment, but this is what I got from this issue. So his timeline of things that happened, main big events that happened to him in his life was... So the Weapon X experiment, and then he escaped from that, and then the next period of his life is, like, he's living in the feral animal state and in the wild in the Canadian woods. That's, like, the next state in his life. And then Heather and Mac find him and take him in. They help him to be human-like again. And then Mac forms off flight with Wolverine. But uh, Wolverine doesn't like his experiments uh, and choice of, like, recruits he picks. So he leaves. And then the next big thing he does for a while is he's a free agent. And he works for the Canadian Army. And then the first ever mission he uh, takes is uh, to fight the Hulk. In, and he says he can do it in six hours, but the six hours is up and he hasn't beat him yet. He fails, so therefore he fails his first mission ever, listeners. And then uh, Xavier offers Logan to be an X-Man, and Wolverine quits to take that. Yeah, <laughs> so that's pretty much. So that's the whole timeline I wrote got gathered from that. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Hey, what do you think of that panel on page 15 that uh, recreates the cover? So we have Box flies in and lands, and Wolverine jumps out of his stomach, and he's howling mad in the snow. I thought that was oh. a pretty awesome panel. Yeah, for sure. I see it now. Yeah, that's awesome, Jason. Yeah, yeah box is just flying along. And you, th- I thought they were in a plane first, the other ones, but then you realize the plane was box. And then, uh, yeah, they just, like, drop on the ground, sizzle out from a hole in the ground in the snow, like sizzling steam coming out. Box gets up, or, like a door splits open in the middle of his chest, and Wolverine just like, jumps out, out of it all savage style. Yeah, it's pretty great. Jim Lee does a great job. For sure. A great scene. 
Alright, so then we get something, and Pat, if you want to kind of put your fingers in your ears, you can. Um, oh, okay. Then we find out that it's not true. Because Heather this whole time is mad at Mac because she thought he made Wolverine. But Bedwim says, nope, he didn't. So we know that, um, that you know, Mac was just, just the good friend that he said he was the whole time. So that's interesting. That Mantlo, I'm pretty sure uh, Marvel went to Mantlo and said, hey, um, you can't do that. So you're going to fix it. And so we did. <laughs> and then my other favorite part, Pat. You Is it okay read? to listen? Yeah, yeah, you're good. Okay, I literally took the headset off. <laughs> <laughs> my other favorite part at the end is after they beat Bedouin, Heather gets the Wolverine stamp of approval. He's like, hey, I'm proud of you. Mac would have been proud of you. Good job, Heather. Gets the Wolverine stamp of approval. Yeah. All right, so first Jim Lee-ish. What do you think of this art? Uh, yeah, it was good for sure. It's good for like this is uh what 80, 1987. Yeah, yeah, so sure, it's perfectly good for nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. Yeah, the second comic. I thought it was pretty good. It was definitely, it's definitely like the beginning of his career, and some of it is kind of average. But there's also some really, really good panels, and you can see the potential. So. Mm. I thought overall it was pretty good. Although I will say, like, yeah, it is, like, kind of medium good, not too crazy good. Listeners, And, like, if you're looking at this, like, if you didn't look to see was Jim Lee first, like, you could read the whole comic and not know it was Jim Lee because it's not just, it's not his, it's not, I don't think it has his, like, stylized, like, thing from, like, X-Men 1991, you know, when they rebooted at number one. Right. Like, it just, it doesn't look like that at all. In all fairness, what do you say? But like that, that panel of Wolverine holding the flashlight, like on page two, looks, I mean, you can tell, like, what Jim Lee's going to become in that panel, I think. Alright. Might have to disagree. Yeah, well, that's fine. (laughs) I'm looking at, yeah. (laughs) Fair enough, yeah. Well, anyway, regardless, it's it's pretty good. Um, So what do you think of the story? Uh, the story was, oh, it was pretty bad. I didn't really like it. (laughs) It was pretty cringeworthy. I I felt... I think it's worse because it had a good setup and a good yeah. mystery the issue before, and then it just shit all over itself. Yeah, <laughs> it first one was really cool, setting up a lot of stuff, and then it just turned into like half. Like, whoa! In all fairness, like half the comic was just like a punch and kick and bop right. fest, just a big like a kind of a messy drawn fight thing for like half the pages. So that always gets a little boring when they're just punching and whopping each other for like pages and pages. <laughs> all right, well. Pat, what do you want to grade Alpha Flight number 53? Uh, well, I think there was a lot of text vomit, and if there's one thing I hate, it's reading. <laughs> and and uh, the story was convol- convoluted you're, you're story. I'm not sure I feel it makes sense. Uh, I wrote down, why does Heather think that about Wolverine at the end? I think that's what you were talking about when I took off the headset. Don't, Probably. Don't so I gave the first one four to six. I'd recommend reading that. Listeners, this one was three out of six, and I'm not sure I would recommend it. Yeah, I also, oh, wow, we're exactly the same on both issues. Uh, oh, yeah? I also <laughs> went three out of six claws, and almost oh, all cool. of that is for the art. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool that we're the same uh, rating for both. Yeah, yeah. We're very agreeable. That's because you Canadians are so polite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, anyway, that is uh, Wolverine's Alpha Flight appearances for uh, the first part of year 14. So, hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll do a couple other guest appearances. Uh, before we go to the next segment, I just want to thank you, Pat, again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for racially profiling me and have me on every time there's an alpha flight issue, Jason. 
<laughs> Next time there won't be any, I promise. I promise. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I heard, think I might have heard some talk about <coughs> Meltdown. Yeah. Wouldn't mind uh, yeah. <laughs> coming well. on an <laughs> issue of that episode that comes Meltdown. Yeah, we'll try yeah, to get thanks. that worked out. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on, Jason. This is awesome. Oh, wait. Before right. we anything you have anything going on you want to talk about? Plug? Are you oh, on no. Twitter or anything? I got, I, got no, I got nothing for this purchase. You do a lot of yeah. good Facebook polls. Yeah, hell yeah. Oh, just the uh, Uncanny X-Cast Facebook group. I'm just uh, uh, just on there. I'm always posting lots of stuff. And yeah, I, yeah, I can't think of anything else to say. Yep. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, well, we'll talk to you next time, Pat. Thanks. All right. Thanks for having me on, Jason. All right. Okay, so last but not least, well, in this episode, probably least. <laughs> but it's nice to say otherwise, right? Um, I'm going to talk about two issues of Uncanny X-Men. We have Uncanny 223 and 224. Uh, this carries on uh, our Storm Spirit quest as we pave the road towards Dallas, Texas. Yay! For Fall of the Mutants. Anyway, 223 is written by Chris Claremont. Pencils by guest penciler Carrie Gamble. Inks by Dan Green. Letters by Tom Orzakowski. Colors by Glennis Oliver. Um, and I mentioned that Anacinti was also doing some editing work when we talked about the Daredevil stuff. And um, yeah, this is Uncanny is one of the books she's editing at this time. So the cover is also by Carrie Gamble. And it's Storm with a knife uh, wrestling a giant snake. And that's a pretty good cover. I mean, basically it's got ripped jeans, a mohawk, and like I said, a giant snake. And what else do you want in 1987? I'm going to say nothing. It's got it all. Uh, but yeah, it's a pretty good cover. All right, so basically in this issue, uh, you remember those old World War II reject heroes from a few issues back? Uh, the Crimson Commando and the like. Anyway, well, those guys join Freedom Force. Destiny tells Mystique that the X-Men are going to die. We check in on Storm and Naze as Naze falls ill. We have a brief anti-mutant interlude. We find out the X-Men are using Alcatraz as a base of operations. Wolverine chastises Dazzler for almost getting killed, training with Longshot. Then he quote-unquote test fights Dazzler, Longshot, and Rogue in a deadly game of Uncle. Madeline Pryor recaps her story for us, like all of it. <laughs> Storm battles mystical creatures and Forge in a nightmare where she must kill Forge to stop him. We find out Naze may be manipulating her with his mystical chicken soup. Havoc literally talks Madeline Pryor off of a cliff, and uh, that's, where we, that's what we got. So that was kind of funny because we basically insinuate that Storm and Naze, since the last issue, have walked from the Grand Canyon to Colorado, which I'm assuming would take months, maybe? <laughs> maybe years? I don't know, to walk from Grand Canyon to Colorado? And that's a lot of hiking, too. That's not just like, you know, walking down the street. Anyway, that happens. Also, there's a fun part where after he chastises her, that Wolverine literally smokes in Dazzler's face, and she has to cough. <laughs> and since this Dazzler is funny so the test kind of fight by Wolverine actually you know we've seen that before uh, with Cyclops and it's still probably kind of a dick move but at least in this scenario it kind of makes sense 
And he, uh, and this is where Rogue, he offers Rogue a beer at the end. He told her she did a good job. And that's where we get the line. She says, oh, a compliment and a brew. Well, one is never cease, sugar. <laughs> and then um, towards the end, also, before we fight the giant snake, she also, Storm also fights a mystical bear. And Gamble's mystical bear looks fantastic. Looks really, really cool. And the snake looks pretty good, too. Yeah, and then, of course, she fights Forge. And we definitely kind of find out that Naze's up to no good. Overall, the art was pretty great by Gamble. Pretty nice guest, guest spot uh, by him. And the story was pretty good. I mean, it's a nice, solid issue. Overall, I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 223 four out of six claws. So that takes us straight to 224. Um, this is... The Dark Before the Dawn. Oh, uh, last issue was titled Omens and Portents. But this is The Dark Before the Dawn. Um, we have a little insert, like a card insert, uh, that we know Excalibur is coming. And of course, we'll kind of see the, the seeds sown for that um, in the story. Um, but anyway, The Dark Before the Dawn is written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Mark Silvestri, guest inks by Bob Wyacek, Colors by Glennis Oliver and letters by Tom Orjakowski. So we start off and basically Naze is convincing Storm that Forge is trying to, um, he's basically turned his back on his destiny. He's trying to open this evil portal and that, you know, she may have to kill him. Maybe her dream was right and that's the only way to save the world is to kill Forge. We get kind of the press conference about the new Freedom Force find out some more about the mutant the mutant registration act rogue has a private workout in a gym where she works on some of ben Grimm's old equipment and she gets visited by mystique who tries to warn her that um you know they're gonna die and whatever you do don't go to dallas Aw, i love dallas kind of no i do i live there so i love it as much as, as much as a normal person who loves the place they live there's pros and things you love about it and things you kind of get sick of but um anyway yeah uh, but Rogue is like, well, the X-Men are family. I can't leave them. I got to stay. And Mystique is like, we used to be family too. And she walks off and has a single blue tear that rolls down her cheek. Then Wolverine checks out Dazzler at some nightclub um, called Club DV8. Like the letter D, the letter V, and the number 8. Um, and then he tells her it's a good show. But, you know, you kind of got to choose between being an X-Men or being a pop star. Then uh, Havoc and Longshot are out on the town seeing Raiders of the Lost Temple. And they uh, save a girl from a gang of just gang... <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're called the uh, Bay City Badland Boppers. Um, and that's about as bad as it sounds. And um, So then after that... Uh, Wolverine basically decides they need to they need to track Storm down. They haven't heard from her in a while. Um, they don't know what she's doing. They they feel like they need to track her down. And the best place to start looking, because they know she was going to look for Forge, so they should probably go back to Dallas to um to, to figure out what's going on. And of course, Rogue says, "Oh, there was a, a prophecy or you know a future where we, supposedly we die in Dallas." And so Wolverine basically says, "Well, I'm still going." I won't ask any of you to go. Which I thought was a pretty cool, like, you know, he's kind of the leader of the X-Men now in Storm's absence, and I, I kind of thought that was cool. Like, hey, I got to do this, 
But um, if you can't, I understand. You know, but of course they all do. They're all all want to come help Storm, and they all say, "Well, we're X Men. We're together," which was pretty cool. I enjoyed that. Then Storm goes up, uh, forges new kind of mountaintop spire thing, has to fight a bunch of demons. She fights her way up. It's pretty pretty badassery. I mean, demons, meh. But Storm, you know, slicing her way through them with no powers, just her knife and her indomitable willpower and spirit. Uh, it's pretty sweet. And she gets to the top, and uh, she stabs Forge. And this is where we find out where Forge is like, you're wrong. You've been tricked. I wasn't trying to open the gate. I was trying to close it. Not to destroy the world, Storm, but save it. And, of course, Storm is like, no, I've been betrayed. And um, then we see Naze kind of shoot some kind of black power and destroys the airy, which is the thing that the, the little mountain staircase was called. And that's where we end up. And um, so we know that the X-Men are heading to Dallas where they're destined to die. First of all, there's a really great opening splash page of Storm in a mountaintop, kind of in Native American garb, but it looks pretty great. The colors look great. If we haven't mentioned in a while, which I think we are usually pretty quick to compliment her, but Glennis Oliver is just a damned fine colorist. And this this issue, the colors are, are flipping fantastic. Part where Wolverine talks about how he, he he's not uh, likely to play it safe, so the, the, the prediction doesn't really bother him. Oh, there's a part two where Havoc uh, stands up for Madeline Pryor. Basically says, she's my brother's wife. I'll watch out for her. Which may not sound like much, but proving once again that he's the better Summer's brother. <laughs> we also get her in that same panel like a really great shadow growl. A Wolverine like in blue and black silhouette, but you see his eyes and his teeth. And he's just kind of scowling. It's a pretty cool little panel. Oh, and there's a part where Storm's cutting through the demons. Of course, I always like these kind of comparisons where people kind of recognize Wolverine's attitude. She talks about how... Uh, she almost feels like she's, you know, out of control, and then she has a berserker to make Wolverine proud, or that would make Wolverine proud. So that was pretty cool. So as far as the art, I mean, Sylvester, is pretty great. There's a couple of weird storm faces, but he's pretty much just following in his predecessor's footsteps. I mean, that's that's kind of her design in the early to mid-'80s where, you know, kind of the weird eyebrows and stuff like that. So I don't necessarily blame him for that. Um, other than that, though, the art's really, really good. Like I said, color is just fantastic. Uh, you know, as far as the story, the Storm Force thing is not really my favorite kind of story, as me and Cameron talked about last time. But it's playing out better than I remember it, so it's kind of been a nice surprise. The trick of of you know Storm being tricked by Naze into killing Forge or, or at least stabbing Forge, uh, it had enough gravitas and emotion to it that even though it was kind of predictable and obvious. It was still rewarding as a, as a reader to read that. Long shot, still dumb, but I'm glad to have Havoc aboard. And that scene with them wasn't terrible. I mean, you did have the Bay City Badland boppers, so that's pretty pretty crappy. But um, and also I didn't. We'll see. I don't remember exactly if this plays out this way. I don't. I don't think that it does. But there's the threat of the potential double threat of Freedom Force and the Marauders, kind of both being at the X-Men's heels. And that's a nice, like, kind of cloud hanging over their head. Like, it's kind of, you know, good suspense. Like, ooh, are they going to have to fight both of them? Because that would be pretty sweet if they did. 
Well, I mean, of course, we have the Registration Act in full effect. There's a lot of cool elements to this story. Um, I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 224. I kind of wavered between a 4 and a 5. Um, but it did have the Bay City Badland boppers. And you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go with 5. So 5 out of 6 claws for Uncanny X-Men 224. Not necessarily all that Wolverine-centric or that. I mean, other than him kind of griping at Dazzler and then making the decision to go to Dallas to look for Storm. And there's a, and that was just between him and then everyone else being like, well, no, of course we're coming. A really nice X-Men moment. So that that makes the whole thing kind of worth it. Um, so yeah, I'll go five out of six claws. And that pretty much clears the way. See you there in Dallas, Texas. Come on, stay at my house. <laughs> Not all of you, though. All right, so that's going to do it for uh, Wolverine Year 14 Part 1. Had some pretty decent stuff in there. Um, and some good some good segments with our guest, guest co-host. So I hope you enjoyed it. You know, it was kind of one of those clear the inventory type episodes, but still feel like we had some good material and some good conversations. So, yeah, but now we're ready. Uh, the next flashback episode will be Fall of the Mutants. And that should be a pretty, uh, pretty epic episode. So really look forward to getting Cameron back on to talk about that and, you know, the various tie-ins and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, that'll be, that'll be pretty great. Uh, you know, all the usual stuff, like the Facebook page. Uh, show notes and stuff are at snickcast.podbean.com. Twitter is at snickcast. Email is snickcast at yahoo.com. Um, that's about it. So, yeah, uh, I think the next episode, though, like the very next episode, will be all the current books for February 2016. And then we'll be back in Dallas, Texas for uh, Fall of the Mutants. So, I hope to see you there. All right. Hugs and snicks. Bye. And snack.